How's everybody doing today? So glad you are here with us. Welcome to Camp CC. My name is David Hurtado. In case you're new to us, I'm the lead pastor. Love to meet you outside afterwards. I'll be in the patio, so don't be a stranger. Uh, I want to remind you that next week, if you come next week, you better be here at this service. So if you come this service every week, you're fine. If you come next service and you come next week, we won't have a service. We're doing one service next week at 9 a.m. It'll be great because this will be packed out. It'll feel really, when we do the uh, all-sing parts of our worship time, it's going to be amazing. And then afterwards, we're going to do a kind of like a tailgating party, and we'll have barbecue and whatnot, kind of celebrating the new uh, NFL football season or college, if you're into that. So I will be preaching in my 49ers uh, um, holy jersey. And uh, <laughs> come on, somebody, that was awesome. Listen, I, I want to encourage you to bring your own jersey of your inferior team uh, and wear it, wear it next week and, and join me. Let's have fun together. And then afterwards, of course, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'll be one of the judges for the chili cook-off. So um, if you want to win, you know, I do take bribes. Anyway, so uh, come next week, 9 a.m. Uh, for that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, looking forward to the fall kickoffs. It's going to be great. Hey, uh, I'm coming loaded today, so we're going to jump right in because uh, there's not enough time to get all of it through. I want to remind you, you might remember, uh, it was 1998. There's a movie that came out, pretty popular movie at the time, starring Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was probably at the height of his career. And so at that point, uh, you know, the, all the movies that came out with him, obviously, comedies and whatnot. This is more of a serious nature. It was called The Truman Show. Do you remember that? Maybe you've seen The Truman Show. It's a story about a man whose whole life has been contrived for him. From the point of his birth until into his adulthood years, all of it is contrived. All of it is fake. All of it is uh, untrue because he's being watched by America and his life is simply a TV show. The trick is he doesn't know it. So everything has been contrived for him, but he doesn't understand that's going on. He just thinks he's living life. And so his job is contrived, his wife is contrived, his schooling growing up in those situations were contrived. Every place where he lived, every place where he went, all that was kind of manipulated for him so that America can see him grow up. His entire life was a farce. Uh, he uh, starts noticing things are weird, like all of a sudden a stage prop, a light uh, falls out of the sky, and he's driving to work, and all of a sudden the radio turns on. Hey, there's, uh, there's, you know, there's a plane that went over, and it's dropping pieces by accident. And so they're trying to figure out how to make sure he doesn't see that something's wrong. But he continues to notice these odd things. They're, they're kind of consistent, certain uh, consistent irregularities in life. The same lady run, runs down the street in the same clothes at the same time every day. There's this one car that is the same every, every single day at this time, he could predict it, what's going to happen. These people walk here, this light turns green this time, this happens, how is that possible? If he ever veers off course and does something uh, alternately to what he usually does, all of a sudden there's a big traffic jam and he can't get through it. He goes around the corner, comes back five minutes later, the traffic jam's gone. But everything has been contrived for him to live his life in a certain way so American can watch his life and see uh, uh, even though he doesn't know it, they're watching his life, which is a fake life, and he doesn't quite understand. One day he walks into a random building. and says, this sun seems weird. I'm going to walk into a random building. Walks into an elevator that he thinks is an elevator, but on the other side of that elevator is a lunchroom for a film crew. And he says, what, one, what, you know, he's kind of making these, uh, these, these connections that something doesn't seem right about my life. Uh, he also goes back to his wedding album and looks through the wedding album to see if that was a farce. And then he notices that in the picture of him and his wife, she's like crossing her fingers like I'm not really married to him in the picture. 
Uh, and so that he's going through, he's like, wait, 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 something seems wrong about my life. I don't quite understand what's going on, but something doesn't seem right. The very end of the movie, spoiler alert, in case you haven't watched it yet, uh, the, the producer of the, this film that is his life starts talking to him audibly out of the sky, which he's like, well, that's never happened before. And he basically tells him, hey, you've been, uh, you've been a TV show for the last 30 years of your life, your childhood, your college, and your adult life. America has been watching millions of people. The most famous show that's ever been created uh, is watching you and how you live life. And there he gets confirmation that his life is a facade. Now, I won't tell you how he responds to that or what he does. You're going to have to watch the movie if you want to see that, if you haven't seen it yet. But the very end, he realizes, oh, my gosh, it's true. This whole thing has been a facade. This whole thing has been a farce. This whole, in this whole thing, in this endeavor of life, I've been misinformed about everything. My wife's not my wife. My work's not my work. My life's not my life. My neighbors aren't my neighbors. Everybody's an actor. And he's completely, comes to imagine the fear that would come on you. Oh my gosh, this whole thing is a farce. This whole thing is a lie. It's all been fake this entire time. And I share that because I think that sets us up really well for where we're going today. Because just as Truman had this fear of the unknown overwhelm him, so the Galatian church is, is paralyzed by fear right now. What if everything that Paul told us is wrong what if everything that, 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 that we thought was true about our faith, what if everything that we thought was true about the gospel that Paul presented, the thing that we accepted and ran towards, what if that's all false? What if it's all a farce? What if it's all fake? What if Paul himself was misinformed? And maybe he genuinely believes what he's saying, but what if he's misinformed and everything we believe and how this has changed our lives means nothing? And they're hit with this anxiety. What if, what if we're misinformed on this thing? And that's kind of what Paul is dealing with today. And we're going to look at Paul handle this and handle their uncertainty and try to reassure them. We'll ask questions like, how do we know Paul's message is valid? And how does it affect us if it is? What are the validating factors for Paul's message or his gospel message? And what changes in our lives because of it? Last week we looked at how uh, uh, the validation of Paul's apostleship this week, we're going to look at the validation of Paul's message. And then we're going to ask, how does it impact our lives? And so for that, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. I'd love for you to turn there right now. Hopefully, you have a Bible. We are a Bible-believing church. Uh, we go through the books of the Bible. Uh, we want to teach through them, so hopefully you have one. If you don't have one, see Kenny. He loves buying people Bibles because he, he rolls deep. And so uh, we are, we are we're going, <laughs> he's like, no, I don't. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're going through the ESV, uh, change our translation. So if you want to buy an ESV, or if you have, a, if you have a, uh, an app with it, then please follow along with us. We value this thing. We want to let, be, let it be the guide for our lives. And so go ahead and turn right now to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Got a lot to unpack. It's going to be a great Wonderful, I get excited about teaching. So it's gonna be a great, wonderful morning. The overarching question we see today is, how do we know that Paul's message of grace wasn't misinformed? How do we know that Paul's message of grace wasn't misinformed? What if he's misinformed? What, what, what if it's not even intentionally wrong, but he's just sincerely wrong? How do we know that Paul's message of grace or the gospel message of grace wasn't misinformed? The first thing we're gonna see is he submits his message for apostolic consideration. How do we know for sure? Well, number one, we see that he submits his message for apostolic consideration. Let me bring this message that I've been preaching to the apostles for them to consider what I'm saying. 
is the idea. That's the first thing we're going to see. We're going to see in the first two verses together. It says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though uh, privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. We'll stop right there. So first thing we do, see, he's going to go and say, let me submit my message for apostolic consideration. And so he goes there, and, and, and the first thing we see, it's, it's been how long? 14 years. Now, we talked about this last week, and this, this, this is bewildering to a certain extent. I mean, Paul says in chapter 1, I got the gospel from Jesus Christ. He gave it to me directly. It wasn't for three years of seminary with, with Jesus before I even met an apostle. And even when I met the apostles, uh, I met a couple of them, and I only stayed for 15 days. There's no way that I can download all this theology that I write about in Galatians and Romans and Ephesians and all the, all the different books of the New Testament. He writes 13 books of the New Testament. There's no way you can come together and confer on that type of theology in 15 days. And so we see things. I didn't, I didn't go to them. They didn't give me that and download their message. They didn't download my message. We met, said, hi, nice to meet you, and I'm gone. And now 14 years later. So some people go, okay, if you take three years and you had 14 years, you get 17 years. And some people go, well, maybe he's talking the three are in the 14. Regardless, the idea is there's not much interaction between Paul and the apostles for at least 14 years, maybe even 17 years. Now, what is Paul doing during these 14 years? He's planning churches, like the church in Galatia, all right? And so I've been preaching the gospel, planting churches for 14 years, never having conferred with the apostles. That's a pretty big point. Obviously, he doesn't see it as an important thing to do to go to the apostles and say, hey, let me make sure that everything I'm saying is good with you and you're good with me. He doesn't even see that as, it's obviously not very important if he waits 14 years to ever have an interaction like that. And then he says, after 14 years, he went up, he took Barnabas, he took Titus with him, and he went, why? Verse two, because of a revelation, all right, what is a revelation? A revelation would be a, like a vision or a dream or a word from God, something like that, some direct revelation from God, kind of like in Acts 9 when he gets introduced to Jesus Christ and gets his mission, becomes an apostle, all those type of things. Uh, I got a direct word from God to go to the apostles in Jerusalem. That's why I went. I don't really feel like I need to go. I don't need their validation. But at the same time, I was given a word, and really the literal idea is I obeyed it. I'm in obedience to that revelation from God. That's why I went. I haven't gone for 14 years, haven't felt the need to do it because God gave me my mission, so I don't need anybody's, I don't need anybody's human validation of that. At the same time, I got this word from God, I got this revelation from God to go up and meet them, and so that's why I went out of obedience to that. I don't feel like I need apostolic validation, but I'll go because God's calling me to go, is the idea. And so after 14 years, he finally goes up because he got a word from the Lord or a revelation to go meet with them, and that revelation said, you submit the gospel to them. Submit what you've been saying about Jesus Christ to them. I want you to have this conference where you can confer over what you're saying. But then even when he does it, at the end of verse 2, he does it in private quarters. This is so interesting. I went up because of a revelation to set before them the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles. But then in parentheses, if you see there, though privately before those who seemed influential. 
undoubtedly, he's talking about people, leaders in the church, probably of the apostles, but there's others as well that he might be talking about there. But I went privately, but why does he go privately? In order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. This is, again, very unique. It almost seems like he's saying, well, I went to them and I let's go to the private room over here because let's just make sure my gospel's right. Maybe my gospel's wrong. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I've been, these 14 years, maybe I've done them in vain. But that doesn't seem to make sense. And the reason it doesn't seem to make sense is if you remember last week in chapter one, he's so confident about what he's saying. I know what I'm saying, I know who I am, I know I was given my apostleship by God himself, direct revelation, I was given my marching orders from him. I don't care if anybody on this earth believes it or not, I am an apostle. I don't care what they say, God gave me my orders, and that guy now is saying, well maybe we should go to this room over here and let's talk about this, because what if I got something wrong? Doesn't seem to make sense. He's so confident along the way, and then all of a sudden you see this timidity come in. 14 years, I didn't need the validation or the conference. Why? Because I'm confident. In chapter one, I don't care if people are saying that I'm not an apostle because I know I am because I got my direct orders from God. I'm confident. But in chapter two, let's go in this private room. Who knows? Maybe I've been doing this in vain. What is going on here? It doesn't seem to add up. I want to tell you how I'm going to interpret this passage and, and to give you reasons of why I would do that. I think what's going on here in this section, and then you'll see this as it sets up how we'll interpret the rest of the section. That is this. There is a hint of sarcasm or hyperbole in what Paul's doing. Sarcasm, hyperbolic would be like an exaggerative. He's speaking in exaggeration, uh, tones of exaggeration, tones of sarcasm. And the reason he's doing that is because he's kind of speaking to his detractors at the same time that he's writing to, to the church. So I'm writing to the Galatian church. Remember, they're in upheaval. What if Paul is uh, misinformed, which means our gospel is misinformed, which means everything we believe in, oh my gosh, can you, can you imagine if, if that's all wrong? That's what he's speaking to in the Galatian church. But he's also speaking to these detractors who are the ones who are sowing these seeds of doubt in that church. And these detractors may be saying certain lines that Paul's quoting. They may be saying things like, oh, well, listen, hey, you know, if you, if you just listen to those people of influence, we just tell you what the apostles say. Remember the apostles, the ones that actually walked with Jesus? The ones that actually walked with him on earth for three years? Paul never did that. And, so, and Paul, he's, he's kind of taking a, 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 you know, a variant direction than what they would say. I'm just representing those of influence. I'm just representing those other apostles who actually walk with Jesus. And listen, we think that Paul's message is wrong. In fact, the apostles say this message is wrong. And that's how they're sowing seeds of negative influence into this Galatian church. And Paul is starting to speak back to them in a kind of sarcastic manner. Uh, um, um, you know, uh, I'll speak to you using the same phraseology that you've been using for, for me, or the same negative phraseology that you've been using to negatively affect me. So when you speak of those in high repute or those who, who have a lot of influence, uh, oh yeah, well I went to those guys of high repute and a lot of influence. That's kind of what he's doing. And, and, and when you speak about those leaders of the mothership church in Jerusalem, now you, got, you got James and John and Peter, and they're, they're looked to as the pillars of the church. They're certainly the ones who walked with Jesus, the apostles. James was kind of the head over the Jerusalem church. We're just speaking for them. 
We're just telling you what they believe and how that is a variant to what Paul is saying. And so that might be the context of what's going on here, and Paul is speaking to it. I call it the, uh, well, it's actually called the general's daughter complex. Have you ever heard anything like this, general's daughter complex? This would be like the idea that the general on the base is the one with all the authority. But his daughter walks around and says, well, you know what? I'm the daughter of the general, so you better do what I say. She really has no authority at all, but she's got this complex like she does. And she walks around as if to say, my, my, my daddy, the general, has given me authority to say things, and you better act, you know, kind of thing. And that's what these Judaizers are doing. Hey, we're just telling you what the apostles would say about this. Now, Paul, we question his apostleship. He didn't walk with Jesus. But we know that James, John, and Peter, we know what they think, and, and, it, and 